Hey everybody, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today in the studio, I have Ronald Hummins with me. He is an author, a speaker, and he is the founder and originator of the State of Emergency on Childhood Trauma here in the state of Ohio. So welcome, Ron. Thank you. You are more than welcome. Glad you're here. So we're just going to jump in. All right. And I'm going to start this the way I always start with the guests. And I'm going to ask, what is your labor of love? My labor of love is uh, creating a safe space for generational healing. Safe space for generational healing. Sounds like a man after my heart, right? All about, you know, generational healing and stopping generational trauma. So talk to us a little bit about how that came to be a thing in your life. Why is it so important to you? Um, So in my first book, Diamond, um, it's my story, my my own trauma story. And I didn't really realize how deep uh, I really understand trauma, just to be honest with you, as far as the connection between you know, an African-American community and just, you know, the whole outcome of your whole entire life until the death of my son. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my son committed suicide and that didn't really register to me as far as in connection with my own personal story until I started, you know, taking some classes. I went to D.C. and got a behavior disorder certificate. And here in Cincinnati, I took the first aid mental health um, in NAMI. So the more I started to understand mental health and trauma, that's when I understood uh, a lot more of the circumstances of my own personal life and connection with my son and realizing that our story was one and the same and which was trauma based. Mm-hmm. And I know I had to do something at that point. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. I think I've shared on here before, but I was working in a mental health agency and got sent to Columbus for a training on trauma. And this was, um, this is a long time ago. I like, mm, a while, probably a decade or so ago. So at that point, trauma wasn't the word you you didn't hear people talking about trauma then. It was kind of it wasn't new. I don't want to say new because people try to act like trauma is a new thing. Trauma is since the existence of man, right? right? But I was sitting in this training in this auditorium learning about trauma, and that's when I realized I had trauma sitting in a trauma training. So it's not something that's talked about. It's not something that we're educated on. We really believe that like our life is our life. Every child thinks their childhood is normal until they grow up and have something to compare it to. Uh, So I can relate to that a whole lot. Um, When you talked about um, your son's death, and I'm sorry um, about that, what were some of the things that kind of helped you make this link between kind of the tragic end he had and trauma he had experienced with your own life. What was the thing that got that process going for you? Uh, well, definitely the outcome, mm-hmm. you know, um, if I'm committing suicide, you know, his death. Uh, but I want to say, like, like our, our stories mirror each other. So, you know, on the cover of my book, I'm looking into a glass and his reflection is staring back at me. But I use his, a, a child, his baby picture as a reflection staring back at me because the rejection, the abuse... I mean, all of it, our stories are so similar. And then when I, you know, look at, you know, now my adult years and him and his adult years, there was really, I mean, the the similarity was just, it it was so obvious, you know, because I tried to commit suicide, Mm. you know, um, and I mean, I I tried with everything in me to try to be successful with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently I wasn't, but um, so, yeah, it was really understanding that piece, like just, you know, the physical uh, uh, illnesses that I deal with. Um, and just the daily struggles, you know what I'm saying? And then, with the, you know, understanding how trauma affects us in, in the long, you know, in the long run. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I frequently say I don't like to talk about trauma without talking about resilience. Um, and it's it's obvious that there were some resilience factors that you had in your life that you were able to build upon to become the successful author and speaker and someone who is really pushing for generational healing to happen. Um, what would you say were some of the resilience factors that you had in your life that allowed you to kind of be here now, even though at one point you were in a very different place in your life? Resilient factors. Um, to be honest with you, I, I think that's just the way trauma wired me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, super hypervigilant and just go, go, go. Like, you know, not knowing how to stop. Uh, it became a, 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 a defense mechanism for me. And like, no matter what, in my mind, I always knew that, I knew there was always a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can connect it with religion, Christianity, belief, whatever, you know, I used to. I was, Purpose. Yeah, mm-hmm. but matter of fact, that's a perfect word. So for me, it was always just trying to see, okay, if I get through this though, like what's next? If I get through this dark period, what could be the outcome of this? And a lot of times, you know, it would go into a darker place. Mm-hmm. But even and then even that, it would go into an even darker place. And then it made even more painful place. So it's like, I, I can't, you know, it was, it's kind of like a race. Like, okay, what if I win this? Like, I wonder what's the award at the end. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there would be no award. <laughs> it might be pain. That might be, the you know, the award. Mm-hmm. And so that right there taught me a lot of resilience because it's like, you know, I just continue just moving forward. The best way I could. No, yeah, thank you for that. So um, it is this whole nature of generational trauma and generational healing is kind of, it's my labor of love as well. And I think something that is important for people to understand is we have a tendency to look at our lives from the time we're born to where we are now and all of the things that have happened in that time frame and say, oh, well, that negative thing happened, which led me to have this belief. And then I started thinking like this. And then I had this behavior. And I think that's how trauma has been approached since people have um, been working with trauma more in the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, right? What have you gone through in your life that has contributed to how you're engaging with your environment? But what people are yet to really understand is it goes back before that, right? So it's not just from the time you're born. It actually is from the time you're in utero because that experience impacts the child before they even get here. But we can't even start there. We have to look at how the parents, what their experiences were like, right? And then we have to look at the grandparents and goes down because epigenetics is essentially the study of how genes and genes expression passes from generation to generation and we have to go as all the way back to start realizing how we've come to in part be the people that we are so when your grandmother was pregnant with your mother around five months gestation you were there because all the eggs a woman has are finite and they and she's born with them So you were a part of that system when your mother was in your grandmother's womb. Do you know anything about your grandmother on your mom's side? Mm -hmm. Any trauma in her life? Uh, A lot. Uh, Abuse. Yeah. mm -hmm. Right. And was she in America? Mm -hmm. Is she black appearing? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, well, we, we don't even have to get into the very specifics because when we look for a lot of people, a lot of cultures, a lot of races in this country, the systemic oppression and trauma that we've been experiencing for decades exist. And so we have to factor all of that into the conversation when we look at um, a kid who's in school having behavior problems. Right. And instead of it being labeled a um, lack of motivation, mm-hmm. it's delinquency. He just doesn't know how to behave. We got to understand that this child, especially if the child is a person of color, is trying to function in a system that was never created right. for him or her. Then we have to look at what's going on at home. And I will say that schools are trying to get better at that. It's not just what's happening in school, what's happening at home. But it just doesn't stop there. You know, there's this whole thing. And so what I can appreciate about, you know, creating spaces for generational healing and acknowledgement and the efforts to understand generational trauma is this stuff goes back and back and back and back. So... That's good. So when you talk about creating a safe space for generational healing in the perfect world, tell us what that would look like. In the perfect world. Um, so, you know, the policy that we're currently pushing, uh, I, I believe that like environment, environment plays a you know major role in making things um you know, creating a, a conducive environment for either trauma or healing. So for me, you know, when I think about that perfect, perfect space, um, you know, you can imagine, you know, Indian Hills, right? But instead of the white girl running down the street with some pink and green A6 on and the leggings and ponytail waving from side to side with this big, crazy smile on her face and people like, what are you smiling about? Imagine that being LaQuisha, you know what I'm saying? Or little Tyrone with the dreads. You know, uh, uh, in the front yard, playing an environment, man, that's safe. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, his parents, man, they, they, they've experienced the, you know, the generational healing from this policy, and now it's been passed down to them, which is going to grow up. He's going to grow up to be a parent. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's 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 about really creating a, 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 a conducive environment, man, for healing. Mm-hmm. So you know, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. Um, that's kind of my picture of it. Okay. So I know what you're talking about when you say policy, but I don't know if our listeners know. So um, when you say policy, what policy are you talking about? State of emergency on childhood trauma. Okay. So talk a little bit about that. What is it? How it came to be? Where it is now? Um, so it, it's modeled after the state of emergency on opioids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, going into this, I just winged it. I didn't really know what that looked like as far as creating policy. So I found a successful model, and the state of emergency on opioids gave me everything that I needed to model after. The urgency, I mean, the urgency, you know, when, when that was executed, it literally was maybe a year and a couple of months. And the urgency around it was, I mean, it was immediate. It was aggressive, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, wow, this issue that we're dealing with, you know, African-American children suffering from PTSD on epidemic levels. You know, that was one of my son's conditions. He suffered from PTSD. My son suffered almost every day of his childhood. He lived in a very abusive, um, his mom had over 22 child protective service cases on her, um, investigated for child abuse, neglect, abandonment, and the, the physical abuse on him. And then the domestic violence was, was just, it was so rampant in that home 
So, you know, this kid never had a chance. Um, and while so, I know the story, what about a person who says, well, it was your son. Why didn't you do something about it? So, and, and I did. When I first found out about the abuse, um, he was eight. I went to his school to go through a pizza party for him and his class. Because his, his, his mom, she had a similar upbringing like I did. But unlike myself, she chose to go the route of drugs. Um, so she got heavy into cocaine, um, alcohol, pills. Whereas for me, seeing my father as a drug addict, I stayed away from drugs as a kid. So that, you know, put a lot of distance between me and the mom. But as far as me and my son trade, like that, I wasn't going nowhere when it came to him because I knew that he was going to end up living a similar life to, to, you know, to mine's unless I did something. So when I found, when I, we found, discovered the bruises all on his body and on his back, I went and filed for custody. And honestly, I thought it was going to be a, a walk in the park. You know, people don't know me, but I have a day name after me in the city of Cincinnati. I've done like a lot of incredible philanthropy work here. And honestly, I, so I didn't go into this building just as just as a regular person. You know what I'm saying? I went in. They knew who I was. I produced a film and wrote a curriculum that the uh, Hamilton County Juvenile Probation Department uses, the same building where I filed for custody at. So I'm like, OK, this should be pretty, pretty easy. The mom was under investigation now for child abuse and abandonment. They see the bruises. They have the pictures. Give me my child. So the judge uh, decides to order a paternity test, even though paternity was established at birth. I, my lawyer had already given all the documents. We met all the requirements. So it's like, okay, what are, you know, what are we waiting for? Let's hear this. He decides, well, that wasn't enough. He wanted to do a DNA test, you know, to swab. Um, so I was heated, but my lawyer said, Ronald, just, you know, we, it, we're going to try to get that done this week. So that he gave gave us a court ordered DNA test. Court ordered mean you better be there at this time and this day, according to this you know this judge judgment, mm -hmm. or there'll be consequences where there should be. Mm -hmm. So I was there. I got swabbed. The mom doesn't show up. Um, so we go back to court, and my lawyer thought that I would get a, a judgment, you know, in my favor, like you know people that file lawsuits if the other party doesn't show up, you get a judgment. Well, the judge says, "Well, I'll give you another chance." So he gave her another chance. The mom another chance to show up. Uh, she didn't show up again the second time. So instead of him punishing her and her dealing with the consequences, me and my son had to deal with the consequences and he punished us. He dismissed my petition, not only for custody, but we also filed a backup petition for visitation. I was just trying to make sure nobody can take away my rights as a father in my child's life. Well, he dismisses both petitions. So now the mom is feeling empowered and she says, you will never see your son again. The only way I was able to see my son was sneak into a school to go to go see him. The teachers would allow me to come in. The principal, you know, she was cool with it, too, because they actually wrote a letter to the judge as well and said that when I'm involved, when I'm at the school, they see a big difference, you know, in Trey and his behavior. None of that worked. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I did everything I could to try to save him from that because I knew the route he was going. It was going to create, you know, a, 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 a space, man, for a lot of toxic behavior. Mm -hmm. And so this policy, <clears throat> the state of emergency on childhood trauma, um, how are you hoping that this legislation will impact systems and things like that so that other people don't have to kind of go through some of the similar situations you went through? Um, well, for one, you know, through the awareness of it, because, you know, as you said, a lot of us, we don't really understand trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we, of course, we hear the word. We've you know, always heard the word, but most people don't really understand how it affects us this in our everyday lives. You know what I'm saying? Especially, you know experiencing at a young age and then into adult years, a lot of choices we make, you know, women with, you know, 
with a lot of kids, different baby fathers or fathers with kids, you know what I'm saying, not able to get jobs, homeless. All of these things are, are, are connected, but we don't understand that piece. It's like we're running around with like an invisible daily chickenpox virus, and we don't really understand why we're dropping dead or having these illnesses. So the first part of it definitely is the, 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 the awareness piece uh, with a very aggressive you know, PR campaign behind it. The same way, like I said, with the opioids. When I'm in Columbus, I mean, literally, there are commercials that are ran all day. And, you know, one main commercial, I actually recorded it uh, once because it just was, like, really irritating to me. You know, they put these young white people up there, talked about, you know, they suffer from uh, opioid addiction. And, you know, now Ohio is doing something. But when you look at these kids, these kids aren't, you know, they, they don't look like our kids. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, they put an aggressive PR campaign behind it to make sure that people understand this uh, this this addiction is what's impacting these kids and you know the uh choices they're making in their life so like i said the the, the pr piece man is, is major for me um and then of course policy because like i tell everybody policy is everything there's i mean nothing else uh so you know with you know you and your team man creating writing the policy you know that's going to really bring the, the 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 therapy that's needed you know what i'm saying and then the environment piece definitely has to be investments in the environment because when i've run through or drive through avondale those faces don't look like the faces i see you know in indian hill or in oakley um so investments in an environment um i'm also talking with a, a couple of public defenders that represent uh juveniles they work with the juveniles that through 2020 um and they want to be a part of, of, of that part of the policy where, you know, when kids are sentenced, that those ACEs scores and that those trauma experiences need to be, you know, a part of that analysis as well. Mm. So, you know, for me, man, it's, it's, it's so many different factors, but and that's the reason why it's so big. Like this is actually bigger than the state of emergency opioids because the opioids issue, yeah, it definitely was an issue. And it was something that needed to be addressed. Addiction. I mean, you know, but, as, you know, you, you educated me on you, you can't deal with addiction unless you deal with the trauma That's piece. That's it. So, you know, so I, I get it. But this is so much bigger because it deals directly with trauma. You know what I'm saying? And and, and, and the ideas have to be big. So definitely the investment in environments. I mean, you know, uh, Avondale, er, you know, neighborhoods like that, they make the investments in those neighborhoods when white people are ready to move in. You know, or when businesses are ready to expand and ready to do the whole gentrification piece and now you know they want to make investments there but when i was a kid growing up in over the rhine <laughs> over the rhine didn't have what they have on vine street and all you know the businesses it was none of that there was no investments made it was built literally it was conducive for creating a trauma experience mm -hmm. and you know very intentional at that but it, it the, the, the environment played a major role mm-hmm so very powerful work. And, you know, whether we've explicitly stated or not, I'm a part of the work, you know. So, um, you know, I met you at a Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice rally here in Cincinnati. Um, I heard your story and what you were trying to do. I was very moved by that. And knowing that, you know, creating space for generational healing, as well as just kind of truly helping people understand generational trauma has always been, or always, it's been very much a part of me in recent years. And so I felt very connected to the mission. So we kind of met and tried to see what I could contribute to that. So I am a part 
of the state of emergency on childhood trauma, as well as some wonderful trauma minds that, you know, are in part of my tribe. And we have Dr. Andrew Seamus from the University of, or what is it? You know, I'm purposefully flipping their name as a Michigan grad. No, the Ohio State University. So we will demonstrate that even from, you know, uh, a competitive rivalry standpoint, we can work together to get things done. But Dr. Andrew Seamus um, is part of the team and he's rallying together people in the medical world and you know, I have people that call ourselves the trauma league, you know, fighting, fighting trauma and trying to get things done around that. So it, it is, it's a really big opportunity for this state to truly understand how trauma impacts people, period, but with a specific emphasis on the African-American community. Um, and I know since I've been a part, I'm sure you have too, I've gotten some looks or some pushback or people kind of like, well, trauma impacts us all. Why are you just focusing on, you know, the African-American community? And I, I understand to some degree where, you know, their apprehension is. I understand that it's it's rooted in this system of whiteness and racism. A lot of people who are asking me those questions don't. But just kind of as a more public record, the way I frame it is with an emphasis on not an exclusion of. And I think the thing that's very important is while trauma is a I wouldn't even say it is a human experience, but our vagus nerve and, you know, polyvagal theory teaches us that all mammals experience kind of this input of information and this response. So yeah, it's, it's universal in that way. But I think for me, the emphasis is that systems backed by policies, which fuel worldviews and belief systems are systemically created to imprison in multiple ways, people of color in this country. And I don't, I will be the first to say that the African-Americans weren't the first. It was Native Americans from the very onset. And so kind of a system was created and the results of that system and those various systems that are linked to them are evident in what we're talking about. And so our emphasis on the African-American community is because they have been disproportionately impacted by these systems. And when we can get people to truly understand the role that the, uh, these systems have played, then we can be better educated to change the systems. Cause something we've talked about is the systems are not broken, right? right? The systems are working exactly how they were created to work. So it's important, you know, people understand we're not trying to go in and fix the system. We need a whole new system because the systems as they were created have yielded the results that they intended to 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 yield. And so, you know, there is a strong push, but I truly believe that as we work in um, emphasis in the African-American community, there are other underserved populations that are truly going to benefit and we're not neglecting the the intersect race is not the only demographic because i think it's just a compounding factor when you look at poverty as a true huge compounding stress factor when it comes to trauma and other intersections with race and um, sexual orientation and all of these various things so we are taking on a big task 
Definitely. Um, and but you know we have big hearts and big dreams and a lot of fight behind it. So um, just a pleasure to kind of be partnered in this in this effort to help people understand not only more about trauma, but it is a public health crisis. We are in a state of emergency. Um, I'm a big fan of kind of the, uh, the analogy you use that if this disease popped up in an elementary school, you know, in a mostly white community and uh, one person, one child got it. And then the next day, three other children got it. The first thing would be, well, what is it? First of all, what is it? How do we cure it? Where did it come from? You know, some rare form of chicken pox, as you call it. You know, just it would take three or four. Is it the coronavirus that's that's happening right now? Right. People are kind of like, it, it's not like thousands of people are dying. Well, maybe they are. Honestly, I, I haven't looked lately, but a lot of people are dying. But it's not like hundreds of thousands, right? right. At this point. And the emphasis is let's not let it get there. What is it? How do we contain it? How do we cure it? How do we make sure that people don't have to suffer? Mm-hmm. And yet trauma is taking out hundreds of thousands. Yeah, not more. You know, on a very regular basis. And so this is the effort to say this is a public health crisis. This is a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. And there are people doing the work. We're not the only people. I know there are people across the state. We are dedicated to helping people understand, heal, and move um, beyond trauma. And so this is hopefully a way to get us more united in that effort. So, yeah, yeah, it's good work, and I'm excited to be doing it with you. Um, So I always like to give the guests a little bit more information about, or the listeners, a little bit more information about my guests. So tell us a fun fact, something we may not know. Um, another side of Ron, that's not the, you know, the social justice trauma warrior, which is awesome. Right. But what's something else about you that, you know, would give us a little more well-rounded view of your awesome humanity? Uh, man, I'm a foodie. Okay. Definitely. Uh, I would travel to places just for food. Literally. I'm talking about, I would take a a five hour flight Hmm. to go to a restaurant, (laughs) enjoy that one piece of pie. But, okay, I'm lying. I used to take a piece with me as well. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely one. Um, I love rummage shopping. People are like, man, oh, you know, your, your styles and your clothes you're wearing. Just when I go, you know, do big, like, events. They don't know, man. I bought that suit from the Goodwill. Okay. But I'm a seamstress. So I know how to make stuff work, you know, so. Okay. There you go. Well, I can honestly say I didn't know any of those three things, but probably <laughs> the seamstress Probably shocked me the most. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. I did. I, I, I had to learn these skills, you know, as a poor kid because I couldn't afford, you know, a lot of the uh, the new stuff or, you know, have it tailored fit the way it was supposed to fit. So I uh, took a homemade class when I was in elementary and learned how to sew. And from that point on, I was like, you know what? Get from the Goodwill, give me some needle on thread, and I'm good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, good to know. I need some tailoring. I know who I can call, right? (laughs) All right. Well, Ron, I very, very, very much appreciate you taking the time 
to be here with me today um, and just to talk to the listeners a little bit about uh, the state of emergency on childhood trauma. Thank you for sharing your story and how this has become so very important in your life. And I look forward to come continuing this this race, this journey with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone, I want to thank you for tuning in today. As usual, um, you can get more information about me and Labors of Love on the website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. I want to remind you that we're on all the social media outlets. We have a YouTube channel where every week I put out a Therapy Thursday video that talks about things like mental health, relationships, trauma, uh, useful, very applicable, relevant information for the daily living. So head over to YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review uh, the podcast. You know, we thank you for all those who have listened thus far. And until we connect again, be well.